Welcome to Discovery Church's Sunday podcast. My name is Martin Spoolstra and I'm the pastor of Discovery Church. Today we'd like to share with you a message that I gave to our church on August 22nd, 2021. It's about how Jesus makes disciples. And it lays out Jesus' method throughout the book of Luke, focusing on Luke chapter 9, 1 to 6, and Luke chapter 10, 1 and 2. It's a great message about how we go about making disciples. We hope that you join us as we continue each week to provide you with this content. Thanks. The title of the message that I have for you is called, What Now? We're in a unique situation once again as a church. Uh, We find ourselves still at the back end of the pandemic, so there's those things to consider. There's the things that Stacy talked about in her prayer time about Discovery Church finding a new home, uh, a permanent location. Those are things that we have to consider. Then there's the things that we haven't yet decided upon that need to get decided upon for the future. The elders are meeting very shortly to talk about strategy and vision and planning. But you know, we can get caught up in a lot of those things and our mind gets taken off what's important and to things that aren't. I'm thinking about our discussions about vaccinations and all those kinds of things. My goodness, my post yesterday about the one church in Calgary who was looking to uh, have the conversation about having all of their people vaccinated has just drawn an incredible amount of comments. There's a lot of things that we have to pay attention to. The church is looking for a church home. The elders are looking for God's wisdom and vision for the future. You are uh, focused on the needs of your family and your work and in your friendships. There's a lot of things that we can be focused on. But today, what I want you to do is I want you to think with me about what Jesus left us to do. He gave us some very specific instructions. And everything that we do should revolve around those instructions about how I parent my children or grandchildren, about the kind of work environment that I choose to put myself in, or how I respond to the people around me, about whether or not we should focus on buying a building or this strategy or that. Jesus gave us some very specific things that we are called to do. And around those parameters, we shape who we are as followers of Jesus. Just like the communion that I shared with you earlier, Jesus modeled a lot of what he wanted us to do. Now, obviously, he doesn't have the scenarios that we had today. But Christians have been applying the principles that he modeled for centuries. As a matter of fact, it's Christians that uh, are committed to science, It's Christians that are committed to mercy and kindness throughout the world, to to righting wrongs and to making sure that injustice doesn't rule and reign. But we all begin with one of these premises that Jesus left with us, and that was to make disciples. There's only two ways to make disciples. There's, uh, if you go to any Um, educated person, any textbook on uh, growing the church. There's only two ways to grow the church. And one is to make disciples and the other one is to develop leaders. Every educated person, Francis Chan, uh, you know, uh, I think of 
Uh, Andy Stanley, one of my personal heroes, whether or not you think about John Calvin or John Knox from centuries ago, all they, they all went back to the very same things. If we want to see the kingdom of God come here on earth, we're called to make disciples and develop leaders. Every single curriculum will come back to that. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you the life and ministry of Jesus and how he discipled people. I don't want to talk about their version of things. I don't want to talk about Pastor Martin's version of things about how to make disciples. I want to share with you what disciple making looked like for Jesus because that's what you and I are called to do. We are called to first and foremost place Jesus in the center of our lives and make decisions around what he would want us to do. I think far too often people would say, this is my situation. How do I squeeze Jesus in? This is what I'm going through and I need to kind of welcome Jesus into the process. That's, that was certainly me for many years. I'd run ahead and then I would ask Jesus to join me, kind of speak, so to speak. But here's Jesus now in the beginning of his ministry. This comes from Luke chapter 4. Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's baptized by John, which he didn't have to be, but he did so that we would all know and model that behavior. He did it so that we would model it. And then he comes to the temple, the synagogue. And the scripture of the day is taken down from the scroll, uh, the book of Isaiah. And Jesus moves all the way through to this portion where he reads this out in front of the crowd. This was intended for the Messiah, the one who was going to save the people, the one who God would send. And when Jesus begins reading this, people get a little nervous, right? They get a little squirrely. They're like, wait, what, what, what's he reading this for? Listen, Isaiah, or sorry, uh, Luke chapter four, beginning of verse 17, the scroll of the Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim captives will be released. That the blind will see. And that the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This scripture, Jesus said, is fulfilled in your hearing this very day. And they got crazy. They were like, you can't say that. You can't say that it's fulfilled today. You're not the Messiah. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that you're the Messiah? And so Jesus got them all messed up. And he said, but this is going to be fulfilled in your hearing today. What is? Well, a couple of things. First of all, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he says, the spirit of God is upon me. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon him as he begins his ministry. And he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's going to be preaching about the kingdom of God. He's going to be talking about the fact that God's kingdom must come. And he's going to bring this news to the poor. Poor in spirit? Sure. Poor physically? Absolutely. Poor emotionally? Absolutely. People who are suffering and hurting. Just like the song says, oh, come to the altar. Our arms are open. Why? Because we are the people that need this ministry. He's, he, he reads, he has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released and that the blind will see. Captives from what? Certainly physical captives from jail and people will be released. God's power is that strong. But also his power is strong enough to break the chains in people's lives of unforgiveness, of shame, of even more difficult things than we can imagine. 
And he's going to set the people free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The year of Jubilee is what Jesus is talking about. That time when all the debts are going to be forgiven. The time when uh, everything that is wrong is going to be set right. The year of the Lord's favor when Christ comes again and everything is new. He's saying, look, this is what's going to happen. This has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then when Jesus makes this statement, he moves from there into the very next thing where he begins by calling people and they came. The first thing that Jesus does, if we take a look at the scriptures, I'm just, just going to page through the book of Luke. If you happen to have a Bible handy, I just want to encourage you to do that along with me as we do this. Luke chapter 4 is where we read this passage and then Jesus goes right out and casts out demons uh, in Luke chapter 4 31. And then he heals people. He, right, he said, look, this is my marching orders. This is my job description. This is what I'm supposed to do. And immediately he goes out and does it. Casts out demons. Heals many people, it says in chapter 4. And then he teaches them and they learned. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus begins with calling the first disciples. And so he went to the lake shore. He's seeing James and John and Simon These brothers are there at the lake shore and they're uh, fishing and Jesus goes up to them and says, hey, how's the fishing going? And they shout back and say, well, it's not been very good. Jesus says, well, just throw the net on the other side. Well, that's dumb. I mean, nobody does that. If you spent the whole night fishing, you don't have anything. You don't just throw it on the other side. But for some reason they do. And when they do, there's so much fish, they can't haul it in. And these guys look at Jesus and go, who are you? You could do this. And then, and Jesus, Jesus then looks at them and says, don't be afraid. Come follow me. From from now on, you will be fishing for people. And they just leave everything and follow him. It's an incredible moment. So Jesus calls and they came. If we're supposed to model that kind of behavior, if Jesus goes out and calls people into a relationship, into a time of discipleship, isn't it appropriate that we also do the same? You know, there are times when you have kids and grandkids in your home where you have to intentionally say, now's the time for us to read the Bible together, kids. You're in this friendship group and you're talking with your friends about life and family and ministry or or maybe even just sports or whatever it is. And you have an opportunity to draw people into a conversation about spiritual things. Jesus called and they came. If you extend an invitation to someone and say, hey, would you be interested in joining me? Talking about Jesus, praying together, learning something from the Bible, and they decline your invitation, well, that's okay. Jesus had many people that he invited, but only some of them came. So then Jesus goes on and continues to model for these disciples What's going on? So he's got three and they more start to follow. And so then he models again his behavior. He said, this is what I'm going to do. Jesus went out and did it. He called some disciples and then he goes back and does it again. Chapter five, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Talk about the pandemic of the day, right? Leprosy was a pandemic. Jesus touched these people. He went and ministered to them. He loved them and cared for them. He was willing to enter into their world. He modeled this behavior for his disciples. And they would have grown up in a Jewish world going, who is this guy? That he does all these things. He can heal people. 
And then Jesus calls Levi. Another disciple comes forward. Come on, Levi. They walk up to Levi. He's at a tax collector booth. Jesus looks at him and says, come follow me. And he does. And then Jesus teaches them. He teaches them and they learn and they listen. He teaches them about fasting. He teaches them about the Sabbath in chapter 6. He teaches them about healing on the Sabbath. And then in chapter 6, he then begins to name his main disciples. To name his main disciples. I said that right. (laughs) Uh, And he wants to choose from among a group of people that were following him. He kept calling and more people followed. One day, it says in chapter 6, one day soon afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he, he prayed to God all night long. And at daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12. So there were more than 12. He called together all of his disciples and he chose 12. There's lots of people following Jesus by this time. He keeps calling and people come to follow him. You know what? I bet if you extended a few more invitations than you think, that more people would come and say, yeah, you know what? I want to find out more about this Jesus. I want to watch you live this Christian life. And together we'll follow Jesus. And so then, here are the names. Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, and Judas Iscariot. And then they come down from the mountain. And what does the Bible tell us? Here, listen. Jesus calls the disciples chooses 12 from among those. He comes down the mountain and there are crowds of people around. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area surrounding many of the followers and by the crowds, two groups of people. There are now followers of Jesus and there are crowds of people who are just curious or going, hey, this guy can do some miracles. We should go see. And other people are moving with Jesus from place to place to listen to his teaching. And then Jesus begins with the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. Now, I was very privileged to be in uh, Israel at the place where we believe this Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. Could you imagine being there? Being on that same hillside? Now, I can't claim square inch perfection on the GPS because nobody can. But we were in the same area, the same hillside. And then one of uh, our group got up and, and just from memory, shared with us the Sermon on the Mount, at least the Beatitudes and a few other things. And it was like my flesh, just like goosebumps, just kind of, and I just burst into tears thinking about the fact that Jesus began his ministry by teaching his disciples and they learned from him. They listened. And that's the process. Call someone, invite someone. Your children, grandchildren, your neighbors, your friends, say, hey, let's learn together about what Jesus taught. And then live it. Because then Jesus lived it out again and they watched him. They kept watching him to see what his character would be like. They watched him to see how he would respond to the tough situations. They watched him live out this faith in front of them. He taught them. And then he lived it. And then they watched and learned. And they began to grow as disciples. The place where we were sitting on the side of the mountain in Israel. The place where Jesus preached the, the Sermon on the Mount, was about two hours walk from Capernaum. And the Bible tells us that from there, the disciples walked to the next town. <clears throat> it says soon afterwards, uh, sorry, 
chapter 7, verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. So they, they pack up their stuff on the side of the mountain and then they begin walking. And we were fortunate to, to walk the same route. Now, I can't say that I walked, you know, square inch where Jesus walked or the disciples walked. But we walked through these ravines and over little brooks and through these thorn bushes that were so beautiful and tall and very prickly and grass this high. And it took us two hours to walk this path. And we started to think to ourselves as we talked about what we just witnessed, that one person from our group preaching the Sermon on the Mount, we started talking and we're going, you know what? The disciples probably did this all the time. They listened to Jesus teach and, and then they talked together about it. They, they, they discussed these things and, and probably challenged each other's thinking and opinions about stuff and, and started asking and reevaluating how they looked at life. You know, one of the things that I was hoping for in this kind of... Um, maybe controversial post yesterday was that, that each one of you examine what you think Jesus would have done and have a discussion together. We've got to be kind. We've got to be compassionate. Now, it's tough. I realize that. But that discussion gets us closer to what Jesus really wants from us. And when we walked that road, we felt so connected to the teachings of Jesus. So right from here, Jesus goes and, and models this new behavior, this new teaching. Uh, he heals the Roman officer's daughter. He raises a woman's son from the dead. Jesus gets confronted by John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist says, are you the Messiah, the one that's supposed to come? And Jesus then teaches and claims and lives a life in front of his disciples so that they would know who he was. They modeled it. And then in chapter 8, it says this. Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. So here he is, his, his job description. Remember, he's going to preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, cast out demons. The year of the Lord's Jubilee, he's still at it. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, and among them were Mary Magdalene, whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Shusha, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Here again, the crowd is growing. Jesus' disciples weren't just 12 people who walked with him on this earth. He was taking groups of people, men and women, women who he had healed and ministered to, people who had witnessed the healings and, and the authority of Jesus' teaching. They knew and could hear the authority of who Jesus was. And they continued to follow with him. And then in chapter 9, you got to put this scripture up on the screen here. In chapter 9, Jesus now gets to the place where he is saying, okay, now it's time for you to live this. Now it's time for you to practice this. And in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Do you hear it? Do you hear Jesus' job description in there? Jesus came to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim that the kingdom of God was near. And now Jesus gives them the authority to do the same. The 12 who had followed. And probably 
you know, dozens of people were standing around watching this. And they're like, oh boy, Jesus putting these guys on the spot. And he says, okay, go. Take nothing with you. Don't take a walking stick or a traveler's bag, food or money, or even a change of clothes. If you go into a town and they welcome you, stay there. If they don't, dust your feet off and keep going. And they do it. And the rest of those followers of Jesus are looking and going, oh boy, they got quite an assignment. And then later on in this chapter, they come back in verse 10. It says, when, G- when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything that they had done. They're so excited that Jesus takes them up to a mountain to debrief what had happened. He modeled and they watched. He, uh, sorry, he modeled and they practiced it. They were the ones who were practicing the behavior that Jesus modeled. And they're so excited. They said, hey, we saw demons flee. We had people being healed. It's incredible. And this story now gets circulated to all those other disciples, all of those other followers who are looking at these 12 going, that's incredible. The power of the spirit of God is upon them. They are healing people in Jesus name. And then 5,000 people start gathering around. (laughs) They start standing around. There's more and more people who hear the story and they come and then they are getting hungry. And so the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, you know, we, we, we should send these people home because we don't have enough food for them. Now, here it is. Jesus pushes them. And he turns to them and he says, you do it. You feed them. And they're like, what? Wait a minute. Well, how come we do this? Jesus is like, you just got back from that, uh, that, that mission that I sent you on where you saw people healed, you saw demons cast out, you preached the kingdom of God, you saw the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, you feed them. And they're like, Lord, all we have is five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, give them to me. Here it is. He models it again. Isn't that what we're called to do? That everything that we do in life, we should be modeling the principles of Jesus. That every time we think it's just something mundane, we pick up a piece of bread or share a meal, we go out cycling or we spend some time with our friends. We're called to model the kind of person that Jesus wants us to be everywhere we go. Jesus takes the bread. He gives thanks to God for it. And in the Uh, New International Version, he says that he gave it back to the disciples and here's the word, they received it. And when they received it, it multiplied. Like crazy. They had so many baskets left over. But here's what I want you to think about. Is that there's a process to this discipleship thing. A guy by the name of Bill Hall wrote this uh, book. He called it Choose the Life. And he said that the life of a disciple should be based upon these characteristics. First of all, a disciple should submit to a teacher who teaches them how to follow Jesus. Do you have a mentor, a teacher, someone to help you follow Jesus? If not, you're missing out on the joy of getting to know how to live this Christian life. Secondly, focus on Jesus' words. Third, imitate Jesus' life and character. Uh, Fourth, learn Jesus' way of ministry because Jesus taught along the way. Uh, Take people with you. Show them what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And then finally, find someone and mentor them the way that others have mentored you and discipled you. But I, I, I would imagine though that this is probably how you received your discipling. Just put up the next slide there. Because most people became a Christian and and then somebody said, well, you're a Christian now. 
And you were left going, what? What, what do I do now? How do, how do I do this? And so you're kind of looking over here at that person. You're looking over here at that person. You're thinking, well, that, I don't want to, that can't be how a Christian is supposed to behave. <laughs> it's, is that person really follower of Jesus? They say they're a Christian. And you're left thinking, I'm not sure what this Christian life is supposed to be like. People told you, well, just read the Bible and pray. Well, how do I do that? How do I read the Bible and pray? Just learn what Jesus did. Well, who's going to show me what Jesus did? Who's going to take me along the way and show me that? And for most of you, you've not had an opportunity to disciple someone else. If you're a parent, you, you've got it built into your own home, right? You've you got kids that you can disciple. But I wonder if you've thought of it this way. You know, my dad was really great at doing this. Uh, I don't think that he realized that this is what he was doing, but he would sit us down at the dinner table every uh, day, every day at home. We would either sing songs out of the Psalter hymnal, which was the old songs, or he would read us the Bible passage. So one or the other. My mom was a great singer, so we loved to sing. My brother was a terrible singer, so he made a joyful noise. Um, <laughs> so, so we sang one day, and then the next day my dad would read, and he would stop, and he would say, hey, I wonder what Jesus meant by this. Or I wonder what this passage is about. And he would ask us as kids. I remember being a six-year-old, seven-year-old at home talking about what the Bible said. That's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. You have the opportunity to do that with your friends. And so now Jesus says this in chapter 10. He sends out the 12. And then one chapter later, it says in chapter 10, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are so few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his harvest field. That's you. I want you to notice, go back to the first verse there, please. On the bottom of the screen. The first verse, it says, others. 72 other disciples, not the 12, but 72 other disciples who had witnessed what the disciples, the 12 had done, had watched Jesus live it out again, listened to Jesus teaching as the other 12 did. And the, I imagine that the 12 starts to mentor and disciple the 72. And Jesus says, okay, now it's time for you 72 to go out. We think, we can't prove it, but we think that Barnabas was one of those 72 we hear more about him in, in the New Testament. And then Jesus sends those group out with the same instructions. Go, don't take a bag or a cloak, heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus and the kingdom that is about to come. And that's you and me. That's who we're called to be. To call, we're called to connect with people as we're going, but intentionally and share with them Jesus' life and character, and his words, and model it together, and teach them. How do we do that? The simplest way that I know how, and certainly this is not the only way, so this is just my, my version, is to read the Bible together. Sometimes I sit down with, you know, two, three, four people, sometimes just one, and we read a passage together, just one paragraph or one passage. And I ask the question, what's God saying in the text? So we just make sure we understand what's going on in the text. And then we ask the question, well, what is God saying to me? So each person gets to answer the question. What is God saying to you? 
well, I think God might be saying this or he might be saying that. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And transformation into becoming a disciple happens with the third question, which is, what am I going to do about it? You see, when you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you from the Bible and you put it into practice, the same way that Jesus asked his disciples to do it. He taught them, they watched, they watched him model it, and then they practiced it. If God is speaking to you from the text, from the scriptures, model this behavior. Go out and do what Jesus is asking. Let's not get lost in all of the stuff that's happening around us. Because if we never find a church home, we're still called to make disciples. If we never figure out this thing about the vaccines, we're still called to make disciples. If we never figure out the ills of this world, Jesus is still calling you and me to make disciples, to call people into relationships with him so that they may know the kingdom of God has come in their life, that they may be freed from the chains that bind them, that they may know this Jesus who forgives and who calls us to now go and make disciples of others. That's what we're supposed to be focused on. I pray that God would give you the courage and the strength and the wisdom to go out and do it. If you need someone to be a mentor to you, I want to tell you that in the spring, or pardon me, in the fall, I'm going to be publishing a My Faith Journey course on the internet. It's an eight-session course, and we'll be publishing it. And basically, I will be your spiritual mentor virtually. If you're interested in that, keep an eye out for this. We're going to be publishing parts of it soon. Uh, Tyler is, and I have been working on the details of it, and we're about ready to upload the first couple of sessions. And we'll walk you through how to pray, how to read the Bible, what it means to be a son and daughter of Jesus, who we are as, uh, as disciples of his. And I can be your spiritual mentor along the way. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity today to hear the word of God. Lord, I'm so excited I've gone over time today. Forgive me for that. Uh, there was just so much I wanted to say. And it's just so full of energy to say it that we got to stay on track with you. Lord, would you give us wisdom to just talk to that person that we need to talk to, invite them. And if you're on the other side of this and you're thinking, I wish I had a spiritual mentor, look for that person who models Jesus the best. And even ask them, you could go ahead and do that. Father, I pray that you would help us know what it is like to be a follower of yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.